The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a wonderful scene in the movie, The History of the World, Part One, where Moses, played by Mel Brooks, returns from Mount Sinai after having spoken to God, carrying three large stone tablets. He proclaims, all pay heed, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, at which point one of the tablets slips from his arms and shatters on the ground. Without missing a beat, Mel Brooks continues, 10, 10 commandments. The scriptures tell and retell the story of how the people received God's gift of the law. After God heard the Israelites' cries, after God gave them Moses for a leader, liberated them from slavery in Egypt, kept them safe for 40 years in the wilderness, guided them by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and gave them manna for their daily bread. But before they reached the promised land, God led Moses up Mount Sinai where he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights, and from which he returned carrying two stone tablets engraved with the Ten Commandments. Upon his return, Moses finds that the people despaired of him ever coming back. Having lost faith in Moses and in God, they created an idol, a golden calf, which they are worshiping. Outraged, Moses drops the stone tablets and they both shatter to pieces. Only after he has destroyed the golden calf, the symbol of the people's faithlessness, does he return to Mount Sinai where God prepares two more stone tablets with the same commandments, only this time God also demands that they be kept safe in an elaborately constructed ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And the engraved ta stone tablets were kept safe in this ark for generations. 
eventually being housed in the temple built by King Solomon. At some point, the ark mysteriously disappeared, after which it became the subject of endless speculation and stories that continue to this day, including Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Centuries later, King Josiah, one of the few kings of whom the scriptures speak with approval, undertook renovations on the temple. During the renovations, a high priest discovered a scroll called the Book of the Law, which was previously unknown to Josiah. Many scholars believe this was an early version of the Book of Deuteronomy, which tells the story of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments and God establishing a covenant with the Israelites. The Book of the Law had been either hidden or lost. When King Josiah reads it, he realizes that the people of Judah aren't obeying the commandments, that they have, in fact, broken their covenant with God. Josiah instituted a period of religious reform, eliminating the influence of foreign cults, restoring the celebration of the Passover meal, and establishing policies that prioritized caring for the poorest, most vulnerable members of society, according to the terms of the covenant described in the Book of the Law. During the reign of King Josiah, the prophet Jeremiah began his 40-year ministry. He was around when the Book of the Law was discovered, the covenant renewed, and all of Josiah's reforms undertaken. And his ministry continued under the reign of several more kings who broke the covenant again returned to idolatrous worship and unjust social practices, exploited the poor, mistreated the vulnerable, and in the process broke God's heart and broke Jeremiah's heart too. Rabbi Abraham Heschel refers to the Israelite prophets as some of the most disturbing people who have ever lived. And the prophet Jeremiah was no exception. Jeremiah was so unable to moderate his emotions or speak in a socially acceptable manner that even though he was accepted as a prophet who spoke for God, he was forbidden to set foot in the temple. Hypersensitive to evil, horrified by political corruption, Jeremiah was scandalized by the immorality, injustice, and faithlessness he witnessed in Judah, from the rampant dishonesty and conniving of people whose tongues were deadly arrows, to the economic exploitation of the poor and vulnerable by the wealthy and powerful, to the worship of idols and disregard for the Sabbath. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because of passages like this, when he pleads with the people to return to God. If you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears. Channeling God's dismay, Jeremiah prophesied doom and destruction and exile, all of which took place during his lifetime. It was a difficult time for the land of Judah. We live in a difficult time too. 
This Lent, we are cognizant of being a full year into the COVID-19 pandemic. A year ago, we had no idea that today we would still be wearing masks, still maintaining physical distance, still going without hugs or visits to loved ones, still working and teaching and learning and living in radically different ways from one year ago. We had no idea that we would lose hundreds of thousands of fellow citizens to COVID-19. The pandemic has also brought many disparities to light. Some of us have multiple homes and some have no homes. Some have plenty to eat and some don't know where they will find their next meal. Some of us know only a few people who have gotten sick and some of us have lost many loved ones to this illness. Some of us feel relatively safe walking down the street and some of us live in constant fear of being targeted for violence. And then there's the political sphere. In his 2019 book, Love Your Enemies, Harvard professor and former president of the American Enterprise Institute think tank, Arthur Brooks, shares that political scientists consider our country more politically polarized than at any other time since the Civil War, with differences many perceive to be unbridgeable. The news that we consume and our social media feeds encourage us to perceive those with whom we disagree as stupid and evil people motivated by hate who are destroying our country and deserve to be treated with contempt. According to Brooks, Americans are actually addicted to contempt and it is tearing our nation apart. If Jeremiah were here among us today, he would be weeping. The problem with contempt, according to Brooks, is that it's bad for everybody. Bad for those who experience contempt from others and bad for those who feel contempt for others. When we treat others with contempt, we secrete stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, which in excess can damage our health and in fact can take years off our lives. Contempt is really bad for us. It's really bad for all of us as individuals, as members of a community, as citizens of a country. What is the solution? According to Brooks, love is the answer. Easier said than done, right? We might find it natural to love our friends and doable to love strangers, but the notion of loving people whose ideas we cannot tolerate may feel impossible. How do we love people with whom we have so little in common that we can only consider them the enemy? Last week, the Reverend Marion Edmonds Allen, executive director of our mission partner, Parity, led a circle conversation on creating beloved community 
in a polarized world. Mary describes herself as a bridge builder, someone who works to bring people together across political, social, and faith divides. She said recently she's been receiving questions from people who hold a wide variety of positions on a wide variety of issues and run the gamut of the political spectrum. They have in common the feeling that there isn't a place for them in America. They feel unwelcome, unseen, disrespected, held in contempt. They also share the correlating desire to be seen, to be welcomed, to be treated with dignity. People across the political spectrum long for love, respect, and human connection. When you think about it, that's a lot for people to have in common. Marion shared her belief that we all have it within our power to heal divisions in our family, community, and country. First, she counsels, practice curiosity. If you can't even begin to understand how someone could think the way they do, ask if they would be willing to have a conversation. Say, I'm interested in your perspective. And be interested. Be curious. If the thought of having that kind of conversation feels scary, acknowledge that. Perhaps name it a holy conversation where each person commits to treating the other with kindness and care, no matter how much they disagree. Then Marion says, practice love. We can do this because we have all been gifted by God with a well of love in our hearts. Make a spiritual practice of loving people with whom you disagree and praying for them. Pray for their welfare. Pray for good things to happen to them. Pray for God to give them what they need. For all the gloom and doom that Jeremiah prophesied, he also proclaimed God's overflowing compassion for humanity and God's longing to forgive and redeem. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors. We live in those days that are surely coming. That eschatological in-between time between the realm of God, which is already here and also not yet here. During this time, instead of writing the law on stone tablets that can be shattered or stored in an ark and lost, instead of writing God's covenant on a scroll which can be hidden and forgotten, or renewed and broken according to the whims of the religious leaders or whoever holds power in the land. God is writing down God's covenant in a place where it will be safe and whole and accessible and remembered and powerful, a living, embodied 
word. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. We belong to a God who liberates, who forgives, who redeems, and who writes on our hearts, on all of our hearts. There will always be people in the world with whom we disagree, with whom we strongly disagree. God's covenant written on our hearts gives us the power to recognize each other's value to God, the curiosity to want to build a bridge of understanding, the ability to love even those people who might feel like our enemies, and the desire to work together for the common good of all the people in our land. Friends, life is short, and we do not have much time to gladden the hearts of those who make this earthly pilgrimage with us. So be swift to love and make haste to do kindness. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father who creates, the Son who redeems, the Holy Spirit who stirs the heart and soul be upon you this day and remain with you always. Amen.